The following podcast is for information purposes only and is not suitable for retail investors. Hi and welcome back to our Chart of the Week podcast. It's Thursday the 21st of July and this week I'm joined by Rob White. Inflation remains a top concern in markets today with US inflation numbers surprising to the upside yet again last week. It's not just the US that's experiencing surging inflation now with Turkey and Sri Lanka battling far worse economic situations. If we take a look at Turkey first of all, Rob, can you explain what's been going on and why inflation is so rampant there? Hi, Gabby, and uh, thanks for having me uh, this week. Uh, But yeah, sure, I mean, both both of these cases are very interesting, especially um, in the context of what's going on globally, as you allude to there. Um, So uh, just, just concentrating on Turkey initially, you know, there's several issues going on that, you know, we could we could fill an entire podcast just just looking at Turkey's uh, economic and political recent history. But um, really, just to summarize, uh, you know, they've, they've undoubtedly been unlucky um, in terms of the impact of uh, uh, oil prices. Obviously, Turkey is a, uh, a net, imp- net importer of energy. Um, they spend about 40 billion per year uh, importing the stuff. Um, and the fact that oil prices have been so strong has created that cost push inflation. Uh, but also tourism has been hit by, by COVID. And that's been an important part of, uh, of, of the economy. Obviously, it's a beautiful, beautiful place to visit, uh, very popular with tourists. Uh, and actually, uh, OECD data showed that it accounted for about 7.7% of employment um, and over 50% of service exports pre-pandemic. Um, so that reduction is pretty significant and it's left Turkey's balance of payments much worse off uh, and also curtailed their growth expectations, which just sort of worsens the whole economic picture. Um, however, it would be kind of problematic just to focus on these external uh, factors. You know, on their own, they're not wholly to blame. Uh, if we strip out uh, those cyclical elements, you know, energy and, and food, you know, core CPI is still, still at uh, 64%. So again, still very high and signs of Turkey's endemic inflation problem can be seen through the weakness of the currency. Uh, so the lira has been in free fall for you know, the better part of the last decade. Um, so again, it's not something that's just come about through uh, COVID and the supply disruptions and, uh, and again, the, and the energy shock that we've been seeing uh, uh, this year. I mean, if we look first at the kind of fiscal policy, so President Erdogan has embraced an expansionary spending policy, uh, running persistent fiscal, fiscal account deficits uh, really since he's been in power. Uh, currently, this is about 2% of GDP. Uh, and I think the direction of travel shows no signs of improving, really, as uh, the latest announcements, announcements are that his government are proposing a supplementary budget, budget of uh, 1 trillion lira. Uh, so that's about $57 billion as we speak. Um, and that's to help battle rising living costs. Um, now, a, you know, a persistent fiscal deficit is not a disaster on its own, uh, particularly if you can fund it uh, through uh, borrowing. Uh, however, more problematic has been the approach of the government to, to monetary policy. Um, and there's been a lot written about this in the press um, for good reason, really, because a lot of it is, is quite bizarre. Uh, but if we look at the, the current account, that again has been kind of persistently in deficit under Erdogan, um, except a brief period in 2019. Um, and that indicates the country is importing more than it's exporting. 
Again, this can be a positive characteristic if uh, foreign flows and uh, FDI are plentiful and are used productively. Um, however, it does also risk depreciating the currency and again, creating more of that kind of cost push inflation on consumers and businesses that are forced to rely on imports, um, which obviously they're paying for in, in foreign currency. Um, talking about FDI and foreign capital flows, that brings us to kind of a more or stranger and, and perhaps more damaging aspect of, of the current situation. And, and that's been, again, it's, it's been well publicized that, that Erdogan is a believer in this perplexing economic um, um, philosophy, really, that the low interest rates are, a tool to, are actually a tool to combat inflation. You know, uh, commonly, economists believe that uh, high interest rates are a tool to combat inflation. Uh, there's plenty of kind of um, theory and practical evidence to show that's the case. Uh, but, but Erdogan has, has taken the opposite view. And really, the events on the ground in Turkey are kind of showing that his philosophy is pretty problematic. Um, and, and that's kind of putting, putting things diplomatically, I, I feel. Uh, but again, you, you can just look at the lira, just look at the, the inflation numbers on our chart and how it's really spiked up in, in, in the last, uh, last, well, last few years. And really, this, this strange policy has, has meant two things, uh, and both of them are very significant. So firstly, uh, the, the central bank has lost all credibility with foreign investors. Uh, Erdogan has, has removed several bankers from their posts. Uh, he's also tried to put his own son-in-law in charge of uh, the central bank. Uh, and he's even threatened to prosecute former central bankers. And none of this obviously makes investors comfortable. Uh, secondly, uh, the impact of allowing inflation to kind of run rampant uh, and keeping interest rates relatively low means that real interest rates are exceptionally low. So if we think that uh, nominal rates are now 14%, again, that on its own, that sounds relatively high uh, compared to, certainly compared to the West. But when you consider that inflation is at 79%, uh, this means that real rates are effectively at negative 65%. So again, it's, it's no surprise that uh, uh, investors are getting extremely poor returns on, on capital with this sort of metric. Uh, and funding's obviously become more scarce and, and capital flight's a, a problem. You, know, you don't want to be holding lira assets when, um, when inflation is running that high and you're not getting, uh, you're not getting return on your, your cash uh, to compensate for that inflation. So all of these factors that, that I've kind of spoken about and the lack of foreign investment, um, well, the lack of foreign investment combined with the de deteriorating currency, profligate spending and the capital flight, you know, they're all causing these high inflation numbers, uh, really unsustainably high inflation numbers. Um, and that's on top of these external macroeconomic factors uh, in terms of energy prices and, and COVID and, and restricted supply chains. Really, the, the government needs to kind of tighten policy substantially to get a hold of it. But, but until then, we, we could see some more uh, eye-wateringly high prints uh, of the sort that, uh, that we, we've shown in our chart of the week. And how about Sri Lanka? Is there a similar case of policy errors or are external factors more to blame? Again, it's, it's a mix, um, but we can certainly point to some, some policy errors. Uh, but I think um, it's, it's important to understand that the country uh, is in a more perilous situation, really, in Sri Lanka. You know, it's, it's generally a poorer country. Uh, GDP per capita is about 4000 or so, uh, $4,000, uh, less than half of Turkey, um, and much less, obviously, than the US. Um, the country's also defaulted on its debt uh, and run out of FX reserves completely. So 
on top of what's going on on the political side, you know, it's, it's basically without a functioning government. Um, it's, it's really created problems. And we obviously, obviously seen rioting, um, shortages of essentials, you know, huge queues for the petrol and other, and other key essential items and really a kind of complete breakdown of the economy. So it, it is really a, a sad state of affairs. And of course, the, the COVID-19 pandemic also had a big impact on, on uh, the current situation. Uh, so it's estimated that uh, they've lost about three to four billion dollars per year uh, in terms of uh, tourism in income. Um, and even before COVID, they're impacted by kind of terrorist concerns as well. Um, and also, if we look at remittances as well, which is um, another key part for kind of frontier and emerging economies, uh, they've fallen about 35 percent uh, through the pandemic. And in the same way as Turkey as well, Sri Lanka is a you know, commodity importer and they've had to deal with this rise in prices. And, and all of these changes are you know, inflationary and they impact the balance of payments negatively. And again, they've, they've, all, created, um, they've all created weaknesses economically uh, and it's been part of the whole, uh, the whole issue that's, that's caused this current crisis. But of course, it's not just these external events uh, it's been really it's it's hidden economy that's been uh, kind of beset by some uh, internal issues as well. Uh, so again, we can look at many of the same metrics that we looked at in terms of Turkey. So uh, just just going through a kind of quick summary, we can look at fiscal policy again, uh, which was again very uh, profligate. Uh, the government uh, introduced huge personal and, and corporate tax cuts. Um, just taking an example, you know, VAT was cut from fifteen percent to eight percent. Um, and again, this obviously uh, resulted in a big de decrease in the tax take. And we saw, uh, the, uh, we saw deficits kind of running into the double digits. So again, that, that contributes to kind of financial weakness. Uh, and particularly in the case of Sri Lanka, an increasing reliance on foreign debt uh, from China specifically. Um, and you look at kind of debt to GDP numbers of 120%, which is uh, significant when you're looking at these um, emerging economies. Um, another, another kind of strange policy decision was um, the decision to abruptly ban inorganic uh, fertilizers. And, you know, that was kind of championed by various groups at the time um, and seems to be partly intended to, to kind of help self-sufficiency, but really it kind of had the, the opposite effect than intended. Um, and, I mean, really it, it increased the need for imports in so once self-sufficient areas like um, self-sufficient areas of agriculture, like rice production, uh, that was really hit, and it also damaged the profitable export industries as well, uh, particularly uh, tea production as well. And um, so again, this this was a very dramatic change um, imposed uh, fairly uh, well, imposed fairly uh, well, fairly capriciously, I suppose, by by the government. And it's uh, created some big dislocations. Um, and again, it's, it's part of the uh, issues creating this financial fragility uh, that's helped, helped contribute to this uh, crisis. And again, it's, it's worth making the point that fiscal deficits aren't a problem on their own um, if capital is kind of spent productively. However, there are concerns also around corruption with the Rajapaksas um, and the e efficacy of some of this spending. Um, and there's Plenty of examples of, of spending on so-called white elephant projects, uh, which were kind of questionable to say the least. Uh, on the monetary side, uh, you can look at the decision to kind of peg the currency, um, which meant that the official rate has been much stronger than the market rate. 
that's had an impact on, on the remittances issue that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and it's also caused some kind of capital flow out of Sri Lanka where people are kind of rightly concerned about, um, about the kind of the, the rate that they'll get on, on the local currency. Um, and it's also meant that Sri Lanka's had to use all of its FX, FX reserves to maintain the peg. So again, it, it really weakens them financially. Of course, this was not sustainable. And, and when the peg did break, uh, the, the currency weakened dramatically and instantaneously. And, and these shocks are, 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 are very problematic for economies and, and they, they can create uh, significant issues. Historically, there are a lot of FX pegs during the Asian financial crisis, which broke and, and caused a lot of economic pain. Uh, thankfully, a lot of emerging economies have kind of learned from that crisis, but Sri Lanka is one that's, that has maintained this peg. Uh, and of course, that big increase in the short term impacts consumers and firms by increasing cost of production. And again, it, it helps contribute to those um, high inflation numbers. I mean, uh, looking forward, Sri Lanka, are now, Sri Lanka are now in talks with the IMF. So, so hopefully that will provide a way, way out of the uh, current turmoil. Um, but really, I think uh, they'll have to get these inflation numbers under control before any progress is made. So what conclusions do you think we can draw from this? And do you think we should be more worried about US CPI? Uh, so that's an interesting question. I, I suppose the key, the key lesson for policymakers is that uh, it's important to run responsible policies, um, particularly you know, your, your, your economic, uh, you know, your fiscal policy. Uh, with strong independent institutions, uh, obviously strong independent central banks are part of that, um, and they should be kept away from political interference, even in the good times, as when the inevitable bad times come and, and you see these macro headwinds, inflation can get out of hand uh, extremely quickly. And, and again, you'll see that in the, the, CPD, uh, sorry, the uh, CPI charts that uh, we've shown this week, uh, just how sharp the, the infl inflation increase has been. So actually, Sri Lanka had comparable CPI with the US for most of the last decade. Uh, at some point in 2021, uh, the year-on-year -year CPI numbers were, were below the US, uh, which kind of seems incredible now. Um, but again, it's just the speed of that latest surge that has been astonishing. Um, and, and on the second part of your question, you know, could something similar happen in the US? So, you know, there are parallels, but, you know, you want to be very careful about making these, these kind of um, comparisons. So, of course, the U.S. has been following expansive fiscal and monetary policy in recent years. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's important to keep uh, perspective here. Uh, you know, the U.S. is obviously a far larger, uh, more important, you know, more diverse, uh, more productive and, and more established economy. Um, and crucially, the dollar is the world's reserve currency. Um, so there, there will always be people looking to invest in the U.S. Um, and hold U.S. dollar assets. And, and that's not changing anytime soon, really. It's, it's always an attractive place for, for, for people to put capital to work. Uh, and that fact gives it tremendous leeway um, and gives governments tremendous leeway in terms of running expansionary fiscal policy. Um, and they aren't being punished so much by, by the debt markets. Um, of course, um, well, the, we've, we've seen, uh, we, well, we're seeing QE going into reverse and we're seeing some QT happening. So. Again, we're seeing some movements at the margin, but this is still very far away from what we're seeing in you know, emerging economies, which, which tend to be uh, kind of victims of uh, US policy or, or you know, victims of kind of the, the macroeconomic cycle, uh, whereas the Fed is, is the other side that's kind of driving these cycles, and, and uh, as is the US economy. Um, 
again, I think crucially to, to take into account with the US as well, they do have a very credible independent federal reserve. Um, and I think all of these things combined mean that we do see the current inflationary problem in the US as kind of merely cyclical. And we would expect the central bank to kind of get to get it under control um, through tighter policy. This has been uh, really useful. Thanks, Rob. And um, I'll see you next week. No problem. Thanks very much. Bye. For professional advisors only, the views expressed are those of Momentum Global Investment Management at the time of recording and are subject to change without notice. Momentum Global Investment Management has used all reasonable efforts to ensure the accuracy of the information contained in this communication, but we cannot guarantee the reliability, completeness or accuracy of the content. This podcast is for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell. Momentum Global Investment Management, company registration number 37330094 has its registered office at the Rex Building, 62 Queen Street, London, EC4R1EB. Momentum Global Investment Management Limited is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority in the United Kingdom, registration number 232357, and is exempt from the requirements of Section 71 of the Financial Advisory and Intermediary Services Act 37 of 2002 in South Africa. In terms of the FSCA FAIS Notice 141 of 2021, published on the 15th of December 2021. For complaint relating to Momentum Global Investment Management's financial services, please contact distribution services at momentum.co.uk. Your capital is at risk.